welcome back to the Intercall Podcast. This is Fleur, and my first question for you today is, are you an anxious female? It's such a funny question, right? But I bet all of you listening, large majority of my sensitives, if you are female identifying, may have raised your hand. Yes, to anxious female. Well, you're in for a treat today because I have Erica Straub on the podcast and she has a company called The Anxious Female because she is a trauma coach. She's a writer and a speaker. She works with the nervous system, with attachment theory. She works with polyvagal theory. She works with internal family dynamics, Jungian depth psychology. She has an MA in depth psychology and she holds 500 plus hours of yoga teacher training. So she's all about that regulation of that nervous system. And we have talked about this on the podcast extensively because in my teachings around intuition, I recognize that in order for us to be intuitive, we have to have a functioning, relaxed nervous system, one that is able to, of course, jump into action when it needs to, but also knows what it feels like to be at rest, truly believe that it's our nervous system that helps us translate the intuition. And so we do need it to be available. And one of the things that happens when the nervous system is unavailable is anxiety. So if you are someone who is like, you know, I think I might be intuitive, but half the time it feels like it might be anxiety. I don't know the difference. What's up? What's down? Who knows? This is a very good episode for you to listen to. It's going to give you a lot of very helpful, very practical tips just like to have in your hand to use on a daily basis. So I'd really encourage you to even jot down some notes. And then secondly, send this one to a friend, you know, pass on the love, help out an anxious female in your life. We've all got them. We might be one ourselves. And there are times in our life where we have more anxiety than others, when our nervous systems are being put to the test, when they are in overdrive, when there is just a little bit more pressure on us. So this is a very good episode to give us a gift. I think it is the gift of a peaceful nervous system. Enjoy it, guys. Thanks for being here. Like always, don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to follow so that you can be updated as the first one when we have a new episode. Enjoy this one, guys. Thanks for being here. Hey, Erica. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, it's good to meet you. Thanks for being here. You too. My pleasure. Wonderful. Where do you live? Where are you calling from? I'm in LA. Oh, great. I lived there for 13 years. Long time. Oh, no way. What yeah. what part of LA were you in? In 13 years, I just honestly kept moving. So I was one of those yeah. that <laughs> every two years I'd be in a different part of the city. <laughs> so people ask me that all the time. I'm like, well, my journey started in Westwood and then I found my way into Venice, Playa del Rey. Wrong part of Koreatown at one point. (laughs) Found my way to West Hollywood, Hollywood Hills. Like it it was like a whole snake through LA. Very relatable. (laughs) Same. Yeah, same. (laughs) Kind of hit all the pockets. Where are you now? I'm in Palos Verdes, so I'm a little bit like outside of the center of LA now. I was here for a while and then I moved to New York for about three years. And then I came back and then kind of gradually went more to the outskirts of LA. 
Yeah, it's really pretty. It's quiet, but it's pretty. Amazing. Love that. While this podcast might seemingly speak to like a spiritual angle, because intuition is often really put into that spiritual box, I actually find that we we really need to work on the holistic picture to be able to access the intuition at all. That intuition is not inherently necessarily even spiritual, right? That it's just like energetic information available for you transferred up through the body, through the nervous system. But if your nervous system is shot, then like good luck listening to it. <laughs> so, so true. So, yeah. So that is where I was like, ooh, Erica is the perfect person to bring on board because your knowledge mm -hmm. about the nervous system is immense. I am very familiar with the nervous system. <laughs> Fantastic. So... I, yeah, I would love to start there. I also love your, I love, love, love your, your anxious female word and, and the way that you've like really targeted your audience in that way. And I got to say, we had a really good laugh within the WhatsApp group of, of my team because my assistant, Samantha, she's like, okay. And then on Tuesday, you've got Erica, anxious female. And I thought that she was like describing you, you know, like there was a moment where I was like, okay, Erica, 38, anxious female, 5'7". <laughs> I put it in my profiles. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, I was like, how perfect, because I'm sure so many people can identify with that where they're like, oh my God, yeah, I'm an anxious female. So how did you come up with that term? Where did that originate? Yeah, well, it definitely was very self-applicable for a long time and maybe still in certain pockets of life. But I really wanted to speak to that woman and really connect with her because just like you were sharing about intuition and nervous system, I feel like when anxiety is kind of the exterior, it's really hard to get below it and like truly connect and have deeper connection because you're so in protection. So that was a big part of just my journey and still is like how to, how to navigate that, how to get below it, how to truly connect because anxiety feels like a barrier between two people. And I think when we're anxious, even when we show up on different platforms, we feel like we have to be perfect and something else starts to lead and we don't actually get to connect. And so the anxiety never goes away then because I think connection is what heals us and is what soothes anxiety. So it was really speaking to me and to my journey. And like, that was the particular symptom I think people identify with. So I could have talked about a lot of these other things below it, but the thing that feels so distressing at first is the anxiety. And that just is this pathway to deeper healing and deeper connection. Hmm. Can you start off by defining anxiety for me? Yeah. How do I want to define it? It's so multifaceted. It's an energy. That's where I usually start with. It's also a messenger. It's really indicating something to us that we're either out of alignment, we're in shame, we're disconnected, our nervous system is dysregulated. So it's, it's a part of us and it's a state, like a nervous system state, but really like it's an energetic footprint, an energetic um, experience. And do you find that that footprint, while it might show up differently, person to person to person shows up the same for the individual over and over again? Like, can, can it have a calling card for them? Yeah. Yeah. I love that question. I do think it looks very different from person to person, 
But I know just speaking for myself, when it shows up, it's very, very repetitive and similar. So if you can really get clarity around when anxiety is present, like I think this way, I feel this way, I act this way, then we're able to kind of differentiate and say like, oh, anxiety is present. Like, let me create some space and come back to like self and see what this anxiety is trying to tell me. Mm. Yeah. How does it show up for you? I'm curious because I know how it shows up for me. So we can, <laughs> we can chat about that a little bit. Yeah. Different, different ways. I would say there's like a couple different characters that show up in a sense. The most extreme, which kind of propelled me down this journey was panic. There was a really like young part of me that would show up and go mm-hmm. into full panic. And that was really distressing. And that, and that's basically just that intensity, your nervous system is on fire, struggling to take a deep breath, feeling like you're not going to be able to take a deep breath. And so that is a very noticeable, clear, like this is more panic type energy. And then what I find more now is there's this really deep somatic sensation in my stomach that almost feels like a pit or a knot. And that's usually indicating something different to me and something that I need to look at, or it's kind of like, you're going down a path that isn't in integrity with who you are, what you want. So those are kind of the two faces. And I would say, because I've been on this path longer, it's more that that sensation in my body that shows up now, as opposed to the the really extreme Mm, expression. Yeah. I love that because that's so different from me, right? Like, I think that's that's like a beauty of Mm. what we were talking about before. For me, it becomes like instant rumination. It's like a never-ending mm-hmm. inner dialogue and panic mm-hmm. perhaps slightly, but the brain for me just goes a million miles a minute. So we're, we're like looping, looping, yeah. looping, looping, looping. There's also hyperactivity that shows up for me around that. There's a sense of needing to be in movement or needing to be doing something. Mm-hmm. So I've definitely found in past anxious experiences where I'll be very quick to just make a decision just to end the uncertainty. You know, it's like, whatever needs to happen, let's end the relationship. Let's move to the whatever. Let's (laughs) quit the job. Let's burn it to the ground. Like, let's just light the match. So it's um, like, I can't deal with this uncertainty. So I too, when, especially in the beginning, when I didn't know how to say, even this is anxiety, I had no idea for a very long time. And I wonder if you've noticed that with your clients, because for me, it was my biggest awareness. Um, I always thought I didn't have anxiety because I was very high functioning. Mm -hmm. So because I did have the willpower to often step back from the ledge and sure, sometimes I burned it down to be fair. (laughs) There's a few exes that can attest to that (laughs) in my early 20s. But for the most part, I was fairly highly functioning and I could reel it back in and didn't really think about then putting like the qualifier of anxiety on that because it felt like somehow it was a bad word, right? Like I didn't want to have anxiety. And I'm curious if there's a lot of people in your practice, in your work that feel similar and how you navigate that. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times when people show up in my space, they're just so relieved that someone gets it and they can talk about it. But I would say that a lot of times there's 
uh, like, I don't know I have anxiety shows up first until something really big happens. Like for me, it was the loss of my father. Then panic showed up. Prior to that, I would have never identified with anxiety. It was not on my radar whatsoever. It was just, this is who I am, right? And very kind of single-minded about it. Like, this is just who I am. I don't self-reflect necessarily or have that mindfulness to go inside. But I was also very high-functioning, high-achiever, top athlete, top student, you know, had to be the best at all the things. So I was always in movement. So it was really channeling that energy fine. And I was able to function. But then after experiencing something pretty traumatic and a loss, it really escalated. And it was so in my face that it was like, okay, there's there's absolutely something happening here. But there was a lot of shame around that, around that level of anxiety and that level of panic. And even now when you let kind of new people kind of into your inner circle or closer to you, it's definitely something that takes a while to like disclose the depth of that journey and what that was like and the shame of that. And will you understand it? Will you get it? Will you judge it? Have you experienced it? So I, I think there is a lot of shame that comes with like having that kind of experience. But I also think as humans, anxiety is a really universal experience just to different degrees. And so we could actually call it a lot of different things, depending on like what really resonates for us. I can't agree with that more. I think every single person has it to some degree. And it's more of only mm-hmm. brought to the forefront mm-hmm. if it becomes a quote unquote problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think so too. And it's so interesting, the people that so quickly will say, oh, I don't have that. I've never experienced that and really push it away. It's it's always interesting to me. It's like, huh, okay. That was a very quick rejection of that word or that experience. I wonder, I wonder why. Mm. Yeah, because it's an uncomfortable feeling in the body, first of all. And there is something about acknowledging where anxiety shows up in your system that then means you have to deal with it. It makes it more real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like, uh-oh, now that we've admitted this, what are we going to do about it? And so what has what was your journey with that in terms of the identification of it? If you're open to sharing it, how did you go from the identification of anxiety in your own life to finding peace mm-hmm. and tranquility within your nervous system? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will say that is not always the state I am in. Of course. <laughs> but I live in that that more peaceful place more often. <laughs> but I approached anxiety the same way I approached everything was kind of go full out. You know, I, I traveled all the way to like India to study with like the master yogis to try and heal it. Or, you know, went to this type of therapy and this type of therapy and just there was such a, an urgency and desperation to getting help for it. So I just did what I knew how to do. And it wasn't really until I actually could slow down and actually be in my body and start to turn towards the really scary feelings did anything start to change. So it was a very outward focused journey at first. And now it's a lot more of an inward journey and kind of learning how to manage my energy. So. I think a lot of times people direct you towards meditation and stillness and these type of practices, which are amazing and part of my practice, but 
if I'm feeling really revved up, trying to force that energy to just be still is, is actually not how our nervous system works because our nervous system works like a dimmer. It's really gradual how we change states. So it's like, if I have all this extra energy, I need to move it first. So I release some of that and then I can really find more clarity and stillness. So I think for me, it was a lot about understanding energy and how to work with it and also to untangle it from fear. Like I don't have to be afraid of the, all the energy that's happening in my body. I just have to create space for it and apply the right tools at the right times to work with it. And I will say the biggest part of my journey that I wouldn't have been able to identify 10, 10 years ago was how emotionally unavailable I was and how unable I was to be vulnerable. And I think those two pieces are what trap the anxiety even deeper within you and keep us in those loops. The more and more like I've stepped into vulnerability and been able to express what I'm actually feeling and show up, that gives that anxiety a channel to release. So to me, the journey with anxiety is also about becoming emotionally available, which I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people who are anxious think they're very emotionally available <laughs> because it it's such a out of control feeling and you're kind of all over the place and you know freaking out to some extent in reaction to it but that's a reaction it's not actually because you know we're sharing from our heart and our soul and you know our insecurities and stuff so it's it's a different texture so that to me is is the work is how do i become more genuinely vulnerable not because i'm desperate or urgent or i'm trying to force something or get something from it but how do i genu genuinely like share who i am in a safe gradual way with someone and allow things to unfold, allow myself to like lean in a little bit more, open up a little bit more kind of in response to like the safety that I'm feeling internally and in a relational space. So to me, that's the biggest lesson of anxiety was there was so much happening below the surface because I couldn't express myself. And the more I learn how to do that, things change, things open up. There's more connection available, which is to me the only thing that heals us is connection. Mm. Oh man, I think that's like ding, ding, ding on all the levels. <laughs> it's so true, and I think it's it's the leading edge really for a lot of people that I work with because myself included, right? I would consider myself a very highly sensitive person. I think with that high sensitivity, you have a high level of anxiety that can show up. You have a high level of intuition that shows up, and yet all of that's contained within one body. So you're, I think in effect, also like we're living in a, in a not so sensitive world. So now we've got this like great sensitivity in a increasingly non-sensitive world where we've got all this emotion, but we haven't been given the emotional tools. So we think we're being vulnerable, but we're not really being vulnerable. And then that same person will attract in unavailable partners, which is just an energetic reflection of where they themselves are, but we're not really paying attention to the very core structure of it, which is like the nervous system is a mess, <laughs> really, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so I think everything that you just spoke to is so important because for me, coming at it from the lens of the intuition as well, I think when we're in that state of turmoil, when we're not emotionally available, I mean, all of that also points to you're not available to your intuition either. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think when we're in that dysregulation, which is to me, another word for that is survivalism. We can't actually make choice from that place. That's not actually choice, right? It's just survival. And so how could we hear what's below it and stay in alignment with that if there's no, like no calm, no safety, no regulation in your body? And then we get into the energy of chasing and proving and hustling, which takes us further away from ourselves. And then now we've given pieces of ourselves away to other people. And that's, that's a really painful, scary place when that happens. Absolutely. And that only heightens the anxiety then because now we're like there's no self present in our body either Mm, yeah yeah absolutely can we do a little deep dive into the science of the nervous system because when we're talking about it's heightened I'm curious as to how you would define that also so people have like an understanding of okay what does it mean you know when my nervous system is in overdrive, what does it mean when it's relaxed? Yeah. I'd love to I'd love to dive into that. I think there's a couple different frameworks that maybe are a little bit simplified, but I think a good baseline to start understanding the nervous system. And I always start with just learning about what the nervous system states are so that we can kind of map and orient to like what state am I in? So we have our safe state, right? Which is that feeling of like, I feel at peace and at home in my body. I'm clear. There's not like that buzzing type energy, just vital. There's life force energy. And then we have our three survival states of fight, flight, and freeze. And the first two, fight and flight, are all the sympathetic energy. So it's the up. It's the revving. And then our freeze state is the down regulation, the shutdown the collapsing, the closing. And so if we can just identify like which one of these states do we gravitate to the most, where what triggers us into these states, I think that's a really good place to start. And then another really important framework is learning about your window of tolerance. And so that means there's like a center point, which is, okay, this is where I feel safe. And then we have our two outer edges at the top. If we kind of something triggers us to the top of that zone, we go into hyper arousal. So again, that's that revved up energy. And if something triggers us to the bottom of that window of tolerance, then we're in hypo arousal, which is all that shut down, collapsed type energy. So it's really important we know first, what does my safe zone feel like? How do I know when I'm in a safe zone? How do I know when I'm in my body, when I'm calm, relaxed? Like what does safety actually feel like? And then what are my edges, right? When am I stretching a little bit where there's some trigger or activation happening that revs me up? When am I at my edge where I can still hold on to a sense of safety? And then doing that same exercise or bringing that same awareness to when you're dropping into like that collapsed type state. So I think those two maybe like images or frameworks are helpful to just understanding the basics of the nervous system. And when we find ourselves moving into hyper or hypo, what can we do? Right? You're in the state, you're spinning out or you're collapsing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is accessible at that moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it again looks different for everyone in those zones, but that's where I go back to an energy practice 
if I'm more in hypo, I'm not going to go try and force myself to do a hit workout and, you know, get into the intensity of things. I'm going to look for something slower, more gentle, whether it's laying out outside in nature, going on a walk, something more gentle, but still trying to create some energy activation there. Because if we're so low, we need energy to lift us back up, right? And so then on the other end in hyper arousal, there's a ton of energy. So I need to do something that's going to help me expel that energy. So then I will gradually be able to kind of slow back down and come back to safety. So it's really, really important. We know if we're shut down or we're panicked, which maybe would be like the extreme versions of the two, but the awareness to like, where's my energy at? Do I have too much or too little? And then choosing an activity, a person, a tool to implement in those spaces. Mm. I really love that. I think for me, when I was thinking back, when I first started working on my nervous system regulation, one of the things that was really helpful was having like a literal toolbox or writing it down for myself Mm -hmm. when I would go into one of those extreme states. Because in that moment, like good luck remembering, or at least for me, (laughs) like it was like, well, that tool is out the window now. (laughs) But if when I had it written down or like even brainstormed prior, like these are the things I can do. This is what brings me back into regulation. Super helpful. So I think even looking at it from that vantage point of, yeah, it's not even your own anxiety isn't always going to look the same. You're probably not always going to go into the hyper arousal. You're not always going to go into hypo arousal. So knowing what's going to regulate you back to center depending on where you find yourself, so useful, super, super useful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think knowing like how extreme you are in that state is really important because if I'm just slightly like hyper aroused, I have so much more access to different type of activities and tools. That's usually a place where if I have something scheduled, I'm still going to do it. Even if it feels maybe slightly uncomfortable, I'm still going to do it, right? That's where I'm going to challenge myself to say, okay, I know this is all here and this is going to be supportive. If I'm, you know, totally at the top of that hyper arousal, then it's going to look different, right? I'm, I'm going to have to really focus on, I need to get back closer to regulation before anything else. Like this comes first. And I think in our extreme states, that's also where connection is so important. We can't, like, I really, truly believe we can't do this alone. And I think for a long time, I was also in the school of thought of we can do it all alone and we can meet all of our needs. But we, I just don't believe that anymore. Like, I really, really believe we have to know those limits of, like, I can't tolerate this level of discomfort anymore. And I really need outside resourcing to help me regulate. I really need co-regulation right now to bring me back to the center and giving ourselves that permission to like, that's okay. That's so human. Everyone has that need for connection and support and help. Yeah. We're wired for it. Like neurotransmitters, we co-regulate. It's, it's so true. I think it's the missing piece sometimes in that shame spiral that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. And, and it's so unfortunate. I know I've experience this many times for me is like when we're so deep in it, I think that's when we do tend to isolate the most and we're in the most judgment of self and we can't see ourselves clearly, right? We're just looking through that turbulent filter, that shame filter. And so isolation, I think actually prolongs 
a lot of these experiences, but we often think we have to hide or not show up because of it. But the sooner we can kind of work through the shame of like, it's okay to be seen like this and that there are, even if there's one person, you know, in your circle, whether that's a therapist even or a friend, like one safe person is really, I think, what heals. It's true. And this moment where we're in these social pockets and we've got these stories that we've created about being a burden or being like ashamed to have had a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's honestly such a gift when someone reaches out when they're, you know, celebrating something or struggling with something. It's such a gift to be able to be there and connect with them and I think like an, a question that a lot of my like inner circle and people that are closest to me that we ask each other is like, hey, do you have capacity right now? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that just gives so much permission to be like, oh, okay, I can, I can really like express what I need to express because they're, they have capacity, they're present. So it feels, you know, just that extra layer of like respect and safety. And right. that feels like a really important question when we're struggling with all these stories of being too much, being a burden, something's wrong with me, to mm-hmm. just really ask one of these people closest to you, like, hey, do you have capacity? Absolutely. That's beautiful. When you're looking at this work from the vantage point of a therapist or even of yourself, we've talked a lot about anxiety, how it shows up in the nervous system. How do you see intuition showing up or self-truth? Mm-hmm. How is that a different nervous system state and how does it show up differently? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the, I think, most powerful things in like my own healing journey, which is the place I teach from. So I think it's applicable to my work as well, but actually moving out of like having one body and one mind and starting to look at ourselves in parts. And when we can do that, then at the center really is the self which I think the self isn't something that can ever be damaged. It's not something we have to develop. It's not something we have to work at. It's it's there. It's like at our core. But we have all these different parts that have had all these different experiences. And when they get triggered or they're not feeling safe, they kind of take over or blend with the self. And so we're in like our fear body or fear circuitry or fear brain, if you will. So being able to unblend, being able to just say like, oh, wow, this this part of me that holds a lot of fear has taken over. What I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, the way I'm talking to myself, this is all part of this particular nervous system. This isn't self. So then being able to ask that part of you, can you take a step back so we can actually work together on this instead of you taking me down in all of your fear? So to me, parts work is like essential for healing, whether it's nervous system, trauma, but making space for your intuition. Because I know the times that I've, you know, slowed down, created space, I always, always, always have like an instant download of clarity that I could never tell you exactly where it comes from, but it's it's a particular voice that I hear and there's like a, a wisdom to it and a an elderliness and a a spiritualness to it that is just very clear and very simple and very quiet that always knows. It's just all knowing whether or not I listen to it (laughs) has a lot to do, I think, with how much like 
I can tolerate in my nervous system. Because a lot of times the things that that kind of voice says is really inconvenient. <laughs> and really, you look around, and you're like, I don't think I can do that. That's a big ask. But if we don't listen, you know, we kind of miss out on the choice in that moment. And usually the consequences to me are more severe because then we're heading down a path that's, you know, not in alignment with our intuition. Mm. Yeah. I love how you just framed that because I've never actually thought about it like that before. It comes up a lot. People ask, okay, I'm now opened up to my intuition, but why don't I trust it? And I Mm -hmm. just clicked for me. It's again, a rebalancing of the nervous system. Because that's an even, not only have we created space in the nervous system to even receive that information, but the next level is, do you have enough space to then act on it? Yeah. Ooh, I got chills. That's a ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, ooh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's it's two different things. We, we can, I think we have to start with, you know, creating enough space internally to be able to get that download and to hear it. But then to actually honor it, to listen to it, to take action on it is a whole yeah. different thing. I'm really going to sit with that one because I think that's brilliant and it's so true. And I'm thinking of all the people I've worked with in my own life. Yeah, it's true. The intuition is is not always a convenient truth. And it does require one to walk to the beat of their own drum. So if you're already working with a sensitivity that feels attacked maybe by the outside world, then that can be a big ask. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and maybe there's like compassion yeah. to say, okay, I got this far, right? I received the information and we're just, it's just an indication that there's a little bit more regulation that needs to happen. Yeah. And it, and it's tricky too, because sometimes these messages come in and then again, different parts of ourselves hear it and they have conflicting wants and needs, right? Like a, an experience I had um, not too long ago was kind of this message came in when I was in partnership that this isn't your, this isn't your life partner. And I heard that and it was just like, oh, like, maybe I can pretend I didn't hear that. <laughs> Maybe that doesn't work that way. I've had clearly. (laughs) Maybe that came from something else. (laughs) I too have had that. I was like, you know what? I think the house needs more pillows. I think that's the. I think that's the solution. I just, you know, I need to nest. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We've all been there. And you hear stuff like that, and and then it sends all these different parts of you into different spirals, right? So I think all parts of your nervous system are then activated by it. Because one part is saying probably like, no, 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 right? Like we just need to do this, this or this, rationalize it, right? Or change ourselves, be more perfect, do something different. And then another part is saying like, oh, but I don't, I don't want to be alone. I don't want this or that. Like we can't do that, you know? So every part of us has an opinion. I think when that intuition comes in so clearly, and I think our work is to listen to all of our parts to hear what they have to say, but then to be able to speak from self, speak from like a collection of voices and not just one part. Because when one part speaks, that's when I think we get into either self-sabotage or we're super impulsive, we burn the whole thing down, you know, we completely ignore it. So whenever we're like in black and white 
type responses, we're not in self or intuition, we're in parts, parts that are activated and triggered. And I would argue, because this is another question that comes up a lot with students, people are like, well, should the intuition always be heated, right? Should I, if I hear it, is it always the right path? And I've often given the exact answer you just gave, which is, no, it is just a voice at the table. Same with your emotional self or your logical self or the self that is still working on something that would allow you to ultimately heed the intuitive call. But the reason I think for me that I spend a little bit more time with people cultivating the intuitive voice is because that's generally the voice at the table that didn't get to talk at all. But it's not like it should be the loudest or should always be given the reins, I think. I think we we live in a complex world and we're complex people. And I love this idea of the parts that you're bringing up because, yeah, not even the intuition mm-hmm. is king. Personally, I think. Yeah. It, can, it needs to be honored. Mm-hmm. It's one of. I think it for me, it's so much about being able to tell what part of me is speaking. And we might get this intuitive download and we really might need to say, this is going to be too much for parts of me to take this action in this moment or instantly, right? And so we might hear it and say, I hear it, I honor it, and I can't do that in this moment, right? I'm accepting, using my example, this isn't my life partner, but in this moment, I'm going to just be with that and I'm going to notice what different parts of me needs because it might be more detrimental for me to just pick up and instantly end a, a significant partnership, right? And maybe it means there needs to be more conversation or more support or more opening. And so I, I do give myself permission to like live with that truth, but also explore it without feeling like it requires like instantaneous action because that's going to set off different things in my nervous system that actually might not be tolerable. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. And again, goes back to just nervous system regulation as a whole as to why it is so important because it is going to anchor that journey every step of the way to give the space and to give the trust really within the self. It's really beautiful to see what happens in those journeys. But, you know, the first part of it, maybe the first six months to a year, It's a mess, right? Like when we're starting to actually feel again, it is messy. Figuring out who you are and coming back into your body, it's not this cute self-care morning ritual routine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is messy and it is painful and it is scary and it is shameful or feels like it should be being witnessed in that. But like what's on the other side of that messy is so beautiful. There's so much more self and so much more like I know who I am and I might you know struggle with these different things but I know who I am I'm connected to who I am and I'm aware of when I get disconnected from that but I've now built this road back to myself so I know how to get back to myself every time I get lost and that's that to me is the is the journey and the transformation yeah no absolutely is there one thing if somebody's listening to this and they're like okay self-identifying anxious female, (laughs) either (laughs) through some lack of resource, time, money, whatever, don't have time to work with a coach. What is one beginning step to nervous system regulation 
that they can take? My first recommendation would be to have a movement practice with your body. How can you get into your body? It doesn't, it certainly does not have to be aesthetically based. It probably shouldn't be attached to anything aesthetic, but how can you move your body? If someone is like really anxious, but shut down, how can you get out there and walk every day? I don't care if it's 10 minutes, but how can you create movement to start lifting yourself up out of depression or shutdown? If you're super anxious, right? How can you get out of your head and back into your body, right? Maybe that's yoga. Maybe it's a different type of movement, but I think we have to create a movement practice to work with these different energy systems in our body and an intentional one, right? It's not just like, I'm going to go punish myself at the gym or, you know, they told me to stretch, so I'm going to stretch. Like there has to be intention and care and warmth from it and really attached from aesthetic goals in any way. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's beautiful and an easy practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You find yeah. a song and shake your body out and mm-hmm. do a weird dance. It really, like, I don't think anything I really teach is, is any like these novel tools that, you know, no one's heard of. Like, I think the practices we're all aware of, of like journaling, exercise, eating better, good sleep, meditation, right? I think there's a reason those are tried and true practices. It's just how we like utilize them. And when mm-hmm. we implement them, I think that's the the switch up that we need. Um, but commitment to it is a big one. Commitment yeah. is huge. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your time today. This was delightful. Yeah, I appreciate pleasure. your wisdom. Yeah, really, really appreciate your wisdom. Thanks for being here and sharing this work with people. I think it's more and more and more important based off of just the greater intensity that we face in our world and we we really owe it to ourselves i think to show up for ourselves yeah i i hope i truly hope that everyone has access to nervous system education in some capacity because it really is life-changing and and helps us face all of these intensities and bring us back into connection with other people yeah me too i hope that too So thanks for being one of the facilitators for it and the educators out there. It's good. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for your time. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Don't forget, subscribe. If you are one of the people that listen to our podcast and we actually got stats back, like 70% of you listen and you're not subscribed and it would just be the best gift to subscribe. So click that little button so that you can be a subscriber. You can be an innie at the Inner Call Podcast versus an Audi. Come be an innie at the Inner Call Podcast. So subscribe, we would really appreciate it so that we can bring more guests, bigger guests, guests you love. Thanks for being here.